First Peter 3. We're going to, Lord willing, this evening finish chapter 3 and finish chapter 4 tonight. I want to get through chapter 4. If all goes then as planned, I think we will be finished this study in this book in three weeks. Um, and so uh, I want to try to get through some, some uh, ground here tonight. In verse number 18 of chapter 3 of First Peter, Lord, through uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter's writing this to the Jews that are scattered abroad, scattered because of persecution. He says this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein a few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Like manner, like figure, wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now remember, when Peter wrote this, he didn't write the chapter number and the verse number. So the end of that chapter, verse number 22, very next word was for as much. And sometimes when we study, we will stop at a break, and that's not necessarily uh, a totally different thought. Chapter number four, he says, for as much then, what is he what is he referring to? Everything he just said previously he says from as much then as christ hath suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves likewise with the same mind for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to lust of men but to the will of god and we're going to read through the rest of this chapter but just uh, uh we'll stop there we'll pray and then we'll get started father in heaven thank you for this evening thank you for each one that's here and Lord, thank you for the testimony and the video that we saw about the Beacon of Hope ministry. I pray that you'd bless that ministry. I pray that you meet the needs of it. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would bring the people and the finances and uh, everything together so that many souls would be saved and, and people helped in the gospel going forth around this world. And Lord, thank you for bringing men like this man, Dr. Sloan, to our church. And I pray that we would uh, be a blessing to him tonight. Lord, I pray for this study. As we look into the, your word, Lord, we need your help. We need to understand tonight what you desire from us. And so I pray that you would work in our hearts, challenge us tonight. Lord, those that are going through a season of suffering, I pray they'd be encouraged tonight and challenged to uh, trust you through it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we find and remember that the suffering Peter is still talking to those that are suffering. Now, what I want you to understand here this evening is this. Peter is writing to the church, to those that are scattered abroad, and those that are scattered, they are currently suffering as he's writing to them. They're going through persecution. They're right in the middle of their problem. And so this isn't a group of people where he's preparing them. One day, there may be some suffering that comes. And when it does, I want you to remember what I'm writing you. He is writing them right in the middle of their suffering. How many of you, you know, when you're in the middle of something, you don't always think right. You don't always, you don't always have the right thoughts. Or have you ever been fearful? 
so I think it's I think it's good for us to understand where they are as they're reading and receiving this letter. They're being persecuted. They're being persecuted because they're believing in a man named Jesus Christ and they put all their faith in him. And now, now, now they're going through troubles. And Peter is reminding them that it's going to be okay. Christians are going to go through suffering. And often, and especially right here in chapter number three, he even is reminding them and bringing them back to the fact that Jesus Christ himself suffered. So as you're suffering, remembering that Jesus went through suffering uh, as well. And, and so as we're studying this evening, I want you to just keep all that in your mind and, and, and understand that here this evening, because, because if you're suffering tonight, this, this book is for you. If you're going through a persecution or trial or, or life just doesn't seem fair or right, this, this is for you. And the reader, as they were reading this, they understood, and Peter understood what they were going through as well. Because up to this point that Peter has endured suffering in persecution for the faith. Remember this as well, that Peter hadn't always responded properly to persecution. And if you read through this letter, you read through where Peter, it, it, it seems like he's very tender as he's talking to these Christians. Have you ever gone through something and someone that thought they were helping you came alongside and they were just very abrupt and just very in your face when they were giving you giving you direction? Maybe for some that was helpful. For others, you just thought, that's not what I needed. Peter here is very tender. He's very compassionate as he's dealing with those that are going through suffering. And I want you to see in verse verse number 18, and we're going to study verse number 18 down to verse number 22, and then just go right into chapter number four here this evening. But I want you to see this, that, that Peter is reminding us that we're partners with Christ in our suffering. We are partners with Christ in our suffering. This is not something that we are going through alone. This is something that we're going through with Christ's help. You're not alone in your walk as a Christian. You're not alone in your suffering. You're not alone when, when trials come and, and he talks about the trial of your faith. Christian, we must remember this, that we are not alone. We have a partner with Christ. He doesn't, he's not just there when everything is going our way. Christ is also there and as there as much when things aren't going our way as he is when things are going our way. So we're partners with him. And right in the middle of this chapter, he talks about relationships. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about, as we saw the last two weeks, that, that he is speaking to those that are going through and enduring suffering by the hand of someone they're close to. The wife, the husband, the employer, the employee, the government. Someone that maybe is not supposed to bring suffering or heartache in our life. And Peter is saying he's teaching us how to deal with that. And right there in the end of chapter number three, we find this, that he brings everything back to Christ. And that's what I love about what Peter does in this book. Everything he does, everything he says, he brings all of it back to Christ. He's the answer. 
Peter's not. He's not trying to give us some self-help. All right, this is how I think you ought to try, or this is what you ought to do, or hopefully this works. What he is telling us, he's bringing everything back to Jesus Christ, our response and how we deal with people and where we, how, where we go and, and our attitude in it. All of that reflects Christ. Then he brings us to this place. He brings us to a reminder to the saved. It, it almost appears like he is introducing us to Christ here in verse number 18. He says, for Christ also once suffered for sins. He's speaking to save people. They already knew that. He knew it because they've already trusted in Christ. He's not speaking to the lost. This is not a passage where he is trying to help those that don't know Christ to understand what Christ has done and who Christ is. He is speaking to the believer that has already trusted in Christ. They're in the place where they're at because of their faith in Christ. Their suffering, their enduring is because they have trusted Christ. And, he, and he, then he just comes to a place where it's almost like he's now telling them about Jesus. Do you know what he's doing here? He's giving them a reminder in the midst of their suffering. Because sometimes in the midst of our suffering, we don't always think the right way. Sometimes in the midst of our suffering, we get to the place where we begin to think uh, discouraging thoughts or we begin to think maybe that, that, that Christ isn't there. We think maybe the decisions we made are wrong. He brings us to the place in the middle of our uh, 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 suffering, and he does this. He reminds the believer what Christ has already done. He says, in your suffering, don't lose hope. Remember, Jesus has gone through this suffering. Remember, he's already paid your sin debt. Remember that you're, you're saved. Remember what Jesus has already done. And he's doing this to encourage the believer. You see, at times, people get, go through suffering and through persecution, and if they're not careful, they believe the answer is to walk away from their faith. Life doesn't come out the way they want it to, and life isn't, isn't the way they had planned, and life isn't the way they thought the Christian life should be, and now they're going through suffering or persecution, and they come to the place where they believe in their mind the answer is to walk away from the Lord, or to doubt, did God love me, or begin to doubt what they once believed so firmly. And so what Peter is doing, he's reminding them that Christ has already done this. He's already died for you. He's already suffered for you. What you're going through, Christ has endured himself, and he did this for you so that you can be saved. We see him, for Christ hath also once suffered for sin, that the unjust, that for the unjust, he might bring us unto God. He's reminding them that the reason why, the reason why Christ died, he was just, but he died for the unjust. For what reason? So that we could be reconciled or redeemed back to God. Christ was just. It wasn't fair what happened to him. If you remember, Christ even said in the garden, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Why? Because he had never sinned. He was pure. He was righteous. He was holy. He was just. And he was going to have to die for the unjust. And you know what he did? He willingly went to the cross. He went so that we could be redeemed back to God. It says in verse number 19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, this is 
in, 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 uh, Look at verse number six as well. For this cause was the gospel preached to also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh by living according to God in the spirit. These verses in there, if you were to read different commentaries, different different uh, men would tell you different things about that verse. Some would believe this. In some commentaries, some men would believe and teach that Christ, he uh, 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 died when he died, between the time he died and between the time he rose again, he went, he preached in hell. He preached in, in uh uh, uh, those that were in hell, uh, he preached the gospel to them and not so that they could then be saved, but they understood then why they were there. Others would teach this. If you were to read another commentary, they would teach this, that he went and during that time he went, he preached and he, and he took those that were in Abraham's bosom. We read in the book of Luke about Abraham's bosom. There was a great golf fixed. And, and remember the rich man looked over and he saw Abraham and Lazarus and Lazarus said, they, they can't come from you, to, from here to you and you can't come from there. And, 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 uh, they believe that he went and he took, he took those that were there and he brought them into the presence of God into heaven. And so there was no more Abraham's bosom. And so there's different beliefs and different, different teachings that you could find in different men's views on those verses. We might not fully understand exactly, but we do know this, that something happened when he, when he died, there was a, he preached unto the spirits that were in prison. What did he preach? He preached the gospel message. He preached this, that he died and he died to save mankind. In verse number 20, which sometimes were disobedient when the, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. And so we, um, we find this. He then speaks of, of water or, or, uh, uh, we find of baptism, public, public baptism was a, a show to others of their of their identity in Christ and Peter is going to remind us here that that being baptized we realize baptism doesn't save us but what baptism did at that time uh, same as it does now is it is a public profession of your faith it told those all around that I have trusted in Christ and so we find this that that in 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 partnering with Christ in our suffering he says this in verse number 22, who is gone unto heaven and is on the right hand of the father, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. He not only, not only is a reminder to those that are suffering what Christ did, he's also in verse number 22, he's reminding us where Christ now sits. And this is important because the person he is writing to is discouraged or going through a battle or going through a persecution or on a, a, a journey of suffering. And he says, I want you to remember what Christ has done. He also says, I want you to remember where he now is. You know what that tells us? He is the victor. In the middle of a time in your life where it doesn't seem there's going to be a victory, it doesn't seem like anything good is going to come out of it. When you start to even question, I look around and I wonder, why is this happening? Am I ever going to get through this? Have you ever been there where it just seems like, one thing after another. Somebody's causing you hurt or you're going through it and you just don't understand. Verse number 22, it is giving us, it's giving us uh, a hope by saying this is where Christ is. He is at the right hand of the Father. And look what he has sitting there on the right hand of the Father, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. 
He is in full control. That's something that the Christian that's going through suffering, he needs a reminder of often. Christ is in control. Your life is not out of control. Your life is in Christ, and Christ is in control. And it might seem that you're suffering. It might seem that the, the that that maybe a, a specific person is causing stress and causing heartache and, and causing great sorrow in your life. But understand this, Christ is in control. It reminds me of Job. We read the book of Job and, and, and we find what Satan did to Job. Satan took Job's finances. Satan took Job's family. Everything that Job had, Satan took. But do we understand this? Satan could only touch it with God's permission. Satan doesn't have authority. He operated in Job's life off permission, not off authority. God never, never lost his authority in Job's life. Satan could only do what God allowed him to do. This is important. Remember, this is somebody, could you imagine getting news? You've lost everything. All of your barns are, are burned down and, 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 uh, uh, the storm came through and, and leveled everything and, and thieves came through and have stolen everything and your children are gone. Everything that's value to you is now gone. You are going to have to have great faith in something if you're going to get through that. Most of us going through a sorrow, you're going to have to have faith, great faith in something to get through that sorrow. We're not talking about, you know, I got a flat tire on the way into work. What am I going to do? We're talking about you've lost something. We're talking about it's great hurt. We're talking about it's great persecution. We're talking about someone that was supposed to care for you has not. We're talking to the believer and maybe even to you this evening, you're going through great pain. And uh, Peter is not, he's not minimizing your pain. What he is saying is this, in that great pain, remember what Christ did for you and remember that he sits at the right hand of the Father. He is in complete control of your life that persecution that you're enduring that suffering that you're going through it does not have more authority than God has it can't it's not dictating your life God is God is allowing that suffering to go through for you to go through because God is after something we need to remember that we're not to give up we're not to lose hope we are to continue to trust the one that holds life It's God. I want you to see in verse number one here of chapter four. He says, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. And if you take notes or your outline in your Bible, mark this down, highlight these words, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. Number, number one, you wrote down part, we are partners with Christ in our suffering. Number two, Write this down. We are to arm ourselves in suffering. Now, when I say arm, what does that make you think of? A baseball game? Protect, yeah. Does it make you think you're going to a game or does it make you think you're going to a war? Make you're going to war. Peter knows you as a Christian, you're going to war. And he says, you've got to arm yourself, arm, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. What mind is that same mind? Whose mind? Christ. 
in your suffering, we've got to make sure that we've got the mind of Christ. Now remember, when, when Christ was, was uh, uh, being tempted by Satan, what did he use? He used Scripture, the Word of God. And we, we need to have that same mind. Now, I want you to uh, uh, write this verse down, Ephesians 6.12. This is probably one that's very familiar here. And it says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Here, Paul is reminding the church here at Ephesus that we are in a battle. But the battle isn't against flesh and blood. The battle is against principalities, against uh, 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 powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What, what Paul is reminding the Christian is this. We are constantly in a battle, and we're in a battle with someone that hates us. We're in battle with evil. And Peter is reminding them the same thing, to arm yourself. Be sure that you understand what you're in is a battle. We must have the mind of Christ. Christ defeated Satan with his word. In order for us to have victory, we have to have the mind of Christ. And Satan is going to be defeated with God's word. He's not going to be defeated with, with human logic. He's not going to get defeated for us to just muster up a little bit more strength inside of us. No, he's going to be defeated by God's word. Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll go there with me. Ephesians chapter number 6. He says in verse number 12, what we just read, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we're not wrestling against uh, uh, humans. We're wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places. I don't know about you, but that sounds scary, doesn't it? Did you ever watch a movie that you probably shouldn't have watched that night? Like tonight would not be a good night to watch a real scary movie. Then you're laying there in the dark and some branch hits your window and your neighbor's chair goes flying across your yard. The dog goes flying across your front of your window. It's because we threw him. <laughs> this is probably not a night. You hear it creaking? Probably couldn't get anyone to stay in this room tonight in the dark. Because they'd be afraid. You know, this, this verse number 12 It'll scare you. We're not wrestling against flesh, but we're wrestling against spiritual wickedness. Satan is our enemy. And Paul and Peter both, they are reminding the believer how you are supposed to fight this battle. To arm yourself. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, he tells us how to arm ourselves. He says, wherefore, take uh, unto you the, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, up until this point, all we're doing is defending ourselves. Right? The shield of faith. What does that do? The, the enemy is firing darts at us and we're just able to defend them. At no point, at no point have we got to the place as we're putting on that armor that we've got to the peace that's going to defeat Satan. 
The armor that he's saying to arm ourselves with is there so that Satan is not going to penetrate us. Now look at how we defeat him though. He goes on to say, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That sword, that's what's going to defeat the enemy. The word of God. So we are to arm ourselves with the word of God. You see, sin loses its power to defeat us in, in our suffering if we focus on Christ and the word of God. When we have, when we're going through suffering, we don't have to fall into sin. We don't have to give up on God. We don't have to walk away from our faith. We don't have to get discouraged and, 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 and get into a place of loneliness and discouragement, thinking that God has left us and wondering, is there any hope? No, we've got, our mind has to stay upon Christ Jesus, realizing this, that he died for me. My salvation is secure. How do I know that? Because he sits at the right hand of the Father and he has all power. And as I wrestle, not my flesh and blood, but as I wrestle these, this spiritual wickedness and this spiritual, this evilness in this world, how do I conquer that? We conquer it by the word of God. We must arm ourselves with the word of God. The Christian that thinks that they can live their Christian life absent of God's word, you're fooling yourself. You're not going to, you're not arming yourself for this great battle. It's vitally important. He talks about prayer in this, in this chapter as well. And it's vitally important that we as Christians, we're arming ourselves with something, the only thing that can fight Satan. My wife, I don't even remember what she was fixing, but she, um, she needed to hammer something in. And, um, so she went out to our, our, my toolbox and, and, um, we've got, my dad had every hammer, like every ounce hammer that you can think of. So she, she grabbed the hammer that, that I think that just kind of best suited her. It was like a little tack hammer. It was just like, I mean, it was a cute little hammer. It wasn't a, a kitty hammer. It was like, it was, it was a tack hammer. And I remember she was trying to hit this nail in or do something with this little tack hammer and getting frustrated because it wasn't doing anything. I mean, it, it, it had no, there was no weight to it to drive this nail in. And so finally she says, I need your help. I need to, I need your help to get this done. And, and I said, well, what are you using? And she shows me this little tiny little hammer. And I just kind of laughed. <laughs> that's, that's not going to get the job done. I didn't laugh a lot. Um, I just kind of chuckled a little bit because I didn't want her to use that hammer on me. And I remember I went out to the tool, toolbox there and I grabbed a big hammer. I mean, like, when you go grab a hammer, you want to grab the biggest hammer, right? Like, this hammer. I mean, I grabbed this hammer and got the job done. You know what? As I was studying this, I thought of that analogy. So often as we're going through things, we try vices or we try things that are never going to help us get victory. We're not supposed to try things. God has given us the formula. The formula is God's word. That's the only thing that's going to fight Satan. That's the only thing he's afraid of. You know, Satan's not afraid of our intellect. Probably the smartest one in this room, Dr. Sloan, I would just assume. 
he's probably got wisdom and can probably figure out problems, right? I mean, he's so good. Did you hear him tonight? He said, you don't have to have any experience in, in, in the medical field. He'll train you. Train You heard him. You said that tonight, right? I'm going to go. We're going to do open heart surgery. I, you know, I want you to train me how to do all that. Or you make a lot of money in the States if you know how to do that. <laughs> but you can't use something that has no power. The only thing that has power over evilness is the word of God. And that is the weapon, that sword that must be used. You can't go into the arsenal and choose whatever you think you're going to use, whatever you're comfortable with. You've got to use the right, right weapon and the right weapon to defeat Satan is the word of God. It's the word of God. And so as we get into this place of suffering, we must understand the word of God. And then I want you to see, if you would, let's pick up reading in verse number seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. He's talking to those that are in their suffering. He says, be sober. I want you to watch into prayer. I want you to make sure that you're using the sword, the word of God, in prayer. You're going to need it. He goes on in verse number eight, and above all things. So the top of the list, above all things, I want you to have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Number three, I want you to write this down. The believer must love in the midst of suffering. They must love in the midst of suffering. And this is important. This is vitally important for the believer. How many of you, when you go through suffering, what's your, what's your response normally would be this? You know what? I just want to seclude myself. I want to be alone. I don't want to deal with anybody. I just handle this. I just need to push everybody away. That's human nature. Peter is understanding this and what Peter is going to help us a very practical way for us to deal with suffering. He says this, you must learn to show fervent charity. Now, fervent charity is helps two ways. Number one, it helps the one that's going through suffering that I'm showing fervent charity through. And it's also helping me as I'm showing fervent charity as I'm suffering. It's not for me to, to, to run away from other believers. If anything, what I must do is run to other believers to help other believers as they're suffering. Christians need the encouragement and the fervent charity of others, the Bible's telling us this. It's why it's so important that believers come together. It's why it's so important that believers care for each other. It's why it's so important that our spirit is right and our, uh, that our heart is right because when believers come together, what's supposed to be happening is fervent charity, loving one another, showing compassion for somebody that's going through suffering. It's, in, it's vitally important for the believer. Love in the midst of suffering. 
He says in verse number nine, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now, listen, hospitality is more than just inviting somebody into your home. We, we had our seniors over to our house today for lunch, and we invited them in our home. And, and imagine if it would go this way. They knock on the door, we open the door, they come in, and we just walk away. And then where'd the rands go? I don't know. What are we supposed to do? I, I don't know. Now, we walked away, and what we said was this. Aren't we hospitable? We had them in our home. Wasn't that nice of us? They're in our home. How many of you would say that's hospitable? No. They went to take off their shoes, and my wife says, no, 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 don't take off. Now, in our home, everyone that comes in has to take their shoes. I have to take my shoes off. Then all these seniors come in, and she says, no, don't take your shoes off. I didn't quite understand that. But my wife wanted to be hospitable. She didn't want them to feel awkward because we found out some of them had holes in their socks and they felt funny taking their shoes off. Really? It wasn't the Patterson boy. You'd be proud to know that. <laughs> he didn't even have socks on. <laughs> but they came over to our house and, and we could have, we wanted to be hospitable to them. So we could have just invited them in. Hey, we're, we're, we're being hospitable. You are in and welcome to our home. See you later. No, what we did is we, come on in, have a seat. Come on in, the food's here. What would you like to drink? What do you need? And we uh, just told them where different things were. And, and we, we uh, said, does anybody have a dog allergy? No, we love dogs. We let them in and we met, let, men meet, let them meet our dogs. We, we brought them into our home and allowed them to get to know us. We talked about their future and what they were going to do and, and their challenges that you're facing. And so we sat around the table and we enjoyed the fellowship. That is hospitality. You know what we find here? Peter is telling the believer, when you're going through suffering, we're supposed to use hospitality. You know what that means? Bringing someone in close enough to you to minister to them and to make a difference. It's not just telling someone you love them. It's showing them. It's bringing them in. What is needed when someone is going through suffering is for someone to bring them in and minister to them. That's, that is why the mindset, why we have to have a different mindset, why we need to arm ourselves likewise with the mind of Christ. We need to think like Christ thought. We need to bring others. When we come to the place where we're around others, Christians ought to be seeking to fellowship, seeking hospitality. I've told our staff this coming Friday and Saturday, I said to them, I, I want you while you're there, I want you to look into lives of others that, that maybe you don't know, people you don't normally minister with, and I want you to love on them. I said this, I don't want any of our staff sitting at the same table together. Now, husbands and wife can. I want them sitting together. It's a marriage conference. But I don't want all the staff sitting at one table. I said, I want you to get into lives. This is an opportunity to love people. We just talked about this week with our staff as well. And I, I said to them, you know, so many times on a Sunday that everyone is so busy. I'm afraid that there are people that are coming to our church that are looking for help and looking for to be ministered to that they're just able to walk out the door and we're not getting to them. And I challenge our staff, look for people to minister to constantly. Look for people that are hurting. 
Look for people that are suffering. Look for people that are going through persecution. Look for the person that just looks like they just lost their best friend. And when you see that, don't avoid them. Run to them. Administer to them. That's what a Christian ought to do. We should constantly be searching for those that are suffering so that we can fervently show them charity. So my question is this, and we're done. Our time is done. Christian, how many of you would say, yes, people are suffering all around me? I mean, you have to be blind not to notice that. People all around us are suffering. And Peter says, when you get to them, there's a way to behave. And it's called fervent charity and hospitality. Do you know when we get to church, when we ought to constantly be thinking about who I can show hospitality to today? See, this is a different mindset because a lot of times we get to the place where, where we're not even thinking. We're not even thinking about what we're supposed to be doing as believers when we're going to church. What we're thinking about is ourself. And what Peter is helping the Christian to get their mind off themselves and get their mind on someone else. Who can I show Christ to somebody today? Greg might have had the worst week of his life. Where should he be able to find help? The house of God. I don't have time to develop all this, but you would find where he's talking about not going after the things of this world and not going after um, sinful things. Not going after uh, verse number four, wherein they, th- they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot or speaking evil of you. Look at verse number three. For the time has passed for lives, many uh, suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable adulteries. That's what the normal, our, our, our mind would, our, our old nature would do when I'm going through suffering, run back to something where I can find relief. Run back to the, to, to drinking. Run back to drugs. Run back to, 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 to women. Run back to, to, to men. Run back to something that I, I used to run to to find fulfillment because back before I was saved, when I was, when I was suffering, when I was hurting, I'd run to whatever the quickest thing that would, would fix that or numb that in my life. And that's not the way to run back to. That's not the thing to run back to anymore. What we run to now is Christ and who runs to us are other believers that is going to, that are going to help us through that suffering you know we a couple couple months ago i guess it was december beginning of december we had a parenting conference now we didn't have a parenting conference because we thought you know what everybody is a horrible parent so we better bring somebody in to teach them you know why we had a parenting conference because we know this parenting is difficult And there's an adversary named Satan that is trying to do everything he can to make you feel like the worst parent possible. He's doing everything he can to destroy your home. He's doing everything he can to anything you try to do that's right. He's going to resist you. And we won't, we don't want him to win. 
you know what we do? We do things like that to, so people can run to find help. We're having a marriage conference. Isn't that, we're not having a marriage conference because 64 families in our church, they're miserable in their marriage. Only 60 of them are. There's four of them that aren't. Why are we doing that? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against Satan who wants to destroy the home. He hates the will of God. He's doing everything he can to destroy it in your life. So what do we do? Why are we going to have that? You know why we're having that? So that we can run to people and help them and show them fervent charity and show them hospitality. Where's Ryan Fish? He and his wife are getting a free night at the hotel. And so are the Heaths. Why do we give away free nights just for something to do? To encourage them. It's important because Satan wants to destroy everything. He wants you to go back to your old vices and your old ways. And we need to do everything we can to help the believer that's going through suffering not have to run back to the world. But we ought to show them Christ. Joe, just before, and I'm done with this, he told me right before I started the service here this evening, grief share, there are some people that we have dealt with here in our church. One, one family has, he has refed our basketball games and they just lost their 32 year old son, right? 32 or 33, early thirties. Chad Walters cared enough about that person. And he says, we've got a grief share that can help you. And he brought his wife. Did his daughter come back as well? Daughter's been back for two weeks. One of our, our salesman for iHeartRadio who, who, uh, uh, sells us radio spots and, and, and deals with all that. He has been coming in and I've tried to witness to him. And then he told me when I first met him that his wife had cancer. And then, and then a little bit of time went by and he told me that his wife, his wife had passed away. I told him about this grief share ministry. And I said, Joe, call him. And well, he, he said, give me the number. I'll call him. And he called him and, and made sure that he was there. And he's been back two weeks now. What's the point of that? Because people in their suffering were running to. You've met, you've met these couples, haven't you? They're running. This dear family, have, they've been through suffering. You know what they've decided to do? They've decided to run to people and show them fervent love. So he's going to get a hammer and he's going to fix things and she's going to bring cupcakes and minister to the family. Darwin Kaiser is another one on Monday nights. We watch him. He knows all of those people. He sits right next to those, those, those people that are hurting, hurting himself. He sits next to those that are coming in and he's running to them to show them fervent love. You see, in our suffering, if we would learn in our suffering to run to people, to show them fervent love, to show them hospitality, those that are hurting, we could run to. It would, it would, it would help us. It would help them. You know what the, the conclusion of that, the word of God says in a couple of the verses down, Christ Jesus is glorified. 
Christ is glorified when in our suffering we seek to help others. It's not about what I can do for someone else. It's about what Jesus Christ can do through me for somebody else. It's not so that we get the glory. It's so that Christ gets the glory.